Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Uh, it was signed into a law. We now have State Rock. Uh, it is Dollar Stone to be de- distinguished from Dollar Store. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> let's let's just pause that hot rock talk. <laughs> Sorry, that joke. That's a tease. Well, that's a tease. That little joke. That was a tease. Coming up, <laughs> rock talk. But your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, June seventh, <laughs> is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com, guys, for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. So many things to do. All right, and there's columns, including ones from Ben Jarofsky. Ben, we haven't heard about your latest column in a while. Uh, well, the latest column I wrote. Uh is it hasn't come out yet that's why we haven't talked about it uh i wrote it in the midst of like a my um uh covid fever oh and then i i I got the first draft out ladies and gentlemen and i was so exhausted i took a nap i was uh, so tired i was in the midst of the worst of it covid and so i just said hey reader people could you please do me a favor god bless you karen karen hawkins yeah, can you do like what we do on the show with uh, articles? Hey, can you just post something from a few years ago? Or <laughs> yeah, man. I did that, actually. It's funny you should say that. Uh, so for my newsletter, which it goes out every Monday, everybody should subscribe to it. Uh, I wrote about, by the way, uh, Kim Kardashian for the newsletter. Oh, How about that, D? Oh, huh? there we Showing go. a little range. There we go. People, Finally. Oh, wow. People have been begging for it. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Give the people what they want. <clears throat> uh, anyway, um, I'm really into uh, Kim Kardashian's skincare product. I don't know if you know this, D, but uh, she's come out with a new skincare product. No. And uh, I have not purchased it yet, but I'm thinking of it. It's never too late to have good skin. Uh, and uh, it only costs $630. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, so I had to do a link to one of my most recent columns. But since it was known uh, in the midst of my covid I went back in time. I just said, what, what, what did I write about a year ago? Back I went to the vaults. There you go. To a year ago. And now if you ask me, what did you write about a year ago, Ben? I can't remember. How much was that skincare again? $630. Okay, don't buy it. That's all the money we've saved in all these years. <laughs> By the way, that is an excellent Alzheimer's test, short-term memory. Guys, you know, when we started reading this ad, I had, I was like, June? That's like forever. But now it's this weekend, Ben. Guys, did you know that Illinois has an average monthly revenue of over $100 million from recreational cannabis sales? As of 2022, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. Tell Peter Cunningham. We'll get him in a minute. The Windy City is the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention, June 10th through the 11th this weekend, brought to you by NECAN. The convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult-use recreational market. The convention will showcase more than 100 companies, brands, and product lines. There's also four full programming tracks running each day for medical, business, cultivation, and social justice. 
featuring dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. If you've ever, you know, thought, man, it'd be really cool if I just found like a joint on the ground. <laughs> okay. Th- this would be the opportunity, right? Just walk by this convention. Maybe you'll find something. I don't know. But for more information, <laughs> NECAN.com slash Illinois. N-E-C-A-N-N.com slash Illinois. We're calling this George Carlin Tuesday, and here's why. Because, ladies and gentlemen, last night I watched uh, episode one of the George uh, Carlin documentary on HBO. And uh, I cannot wait to watch episode two, which I will watch uh, tonight, later tonight. And uh, I have to tell you, and I realize when I say this, I'm a baby boomer man. There has been no greater influence on me. And I, I, I think Dennis is in the same boat, even though he's not a boomer, than George Carlin. And when you watch that HBO special, it really comes home. The, everything I do, everything, like, stupid, dumb gag I do, like, uh, like what was the one I just did? The flying, meow. I got it from Carlin. Carlin made all those noises long before his fashionable. The hippy dippy, all of it, everything. A guy on stone on a reefer, everything I owe to Carlin. And by the way, everybody owes Carlin. Every white man in front of a microphone owes George Carlin a debt of thanks. I guess that's me. Oh, definitely you. Definitely. definitely. You were influenced at a very early age by George Carlin. And the the interesting thing about Carlin, well, there's many interesting things about Carlin. You trace the the arc of his career, and it was a very long career. He died young. I think he was only 71 years old when he died. Uh, And um, but he started in comedy when he was 20. Just pause to think about that, D. Pause. Let's just pause. Pause. And so that (laughs) (laughs) sorry, it was that was Carlin. Fifty years he was doing jokes, and so he had to evolve. And they show the evolution in this documentary. And now it the first part ends right when he gets political, which is my favorite part of uh Carlin. He was always like like subterranean political. And it's just like, but then he gets really just becomes a truth teller. And he just like tells it. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Ben, you only say he's a truth teller because you agreed with the truth that he was telling. Hey, it's a valid point. I got it. You know what? That's a good, good counter argument. Wow. Wow. <laughs> My own worst enemies, folks. I say something and I immediately critique it. People are like, Ben, do you have a back in the old days? People used to say this to me all the time. But there are any editors at the reader? Those stories go on awfully long. That, by the way, is George Carlin right there. Right there, ladies and gentlemen. I think I heard the brown and line. They, yeah, and yeah, yes, the brown line. Windows open. By the way, did we send the link out to PC? Yet? Yeah, I sent it. Okay, all right. Come on. Now, now, you know that funny about guests? Where's the Where's the link? Where's the link? Oh. They just send them the link. They go, you know, make a hamburger. <laughs> Balls on uh, your court, PC. <laughs> <laughs> go make a hamburger. <laughs> uh, so, um so anyway, uh, yes, that's something that if you tell uh, truth tellers uh, are, you know, if you agree with them, then they're telling the truth. But, oh, yes, going back, where was that where I was with the editors? People go, Ben, do you have an editor? These stories go on and on. Yes, I do have editors. Oh, my God. It was a constant struggle, a wrestling match uh, with many different editors down through the years. I'm sure they would say the same thing about dealing with me. Uh, there, it, so it wasn't the fact the reader stories were really long. Uh, and uh, so people just assumed there were no editors. 
But I am my own worst editor, is what I'm saying. Or almost, I edit literally everything I think. Well, I just said that. Is that true? Maybe not. I can look at it two different ways. Oh, suddenly I've lost train of thought. Because I've looked at it so many different ways. <laughs> I've decided that it's not true. But I just wrote it. What am I going to do? Anyway, uh, George Carlin, brilliant guy. And I can't wait for the second part, uh, D, because that's the that's the George Carlin. That's the portion of his career that I really appreciated. Those HBO, you were talking about those HBO oh, specials. We got real like political. The old, and the older he gets, just the grumpier he gets and the more awesome it is. Yes. Which I, I don't know. <laughs> Are we going out, Pat? Or me? I should not you. I'll leave you out. Am I going on? Am I getting grumpier as I get old? I'm dealing with COVID. By the way, back to uh, the state rock. We'll be taking a deep dive on this uh, on Friday and over a week. Uh, and we've already booked it. I'm happy to say uh, the state rock will be making an appearance on the show. Oh, what a rock. Uh, oh, what a rock. Uh, and speaking of rock, the great rock and roller, Peter PC Cunningham has joined us. Uh, Peter Cunningham is, of course, a speechwriter, a political strategist, uh, and perhaps one of the great unknown guitar players in the city of Chicago. Uh, hides that little talent of his, but he can't hide it from me. Welcome back, Peter PC Cunningham. Good to see you, man. How's it going, Ben? <laughs> Are you, you can act a little more excited than that. Yeah, he's <laughs> smoking reefer. Good God. It's like hey. Dennis was just doing a reefer commercial. You yes, told me he was. He yeah. was doing oh. a reefer. Yeah. Sorry uh, about that. Are you, uh, are you guys uh, supported by the reefer industry? Yes. Yeah. To a certain degree, not as much as we should be, given yeah. what like what I've done for Reefer all these years. Hey guys, it's it's a two way street. Okay, I have helped you all those years long right. before it was legal. Right. I mean, just want good, to say it's good that they're funding something besides a couple of billionaires, right? Yes, uh, and uh, we, we could get more. Just saying, I'm throwing that out there right now. Up yeah. here, before we take the deep dive and all the news of the day, uh, particularly crime, criminal justice related news. Uh, I have to ask you, uh, I'm going to, this is totally, ladies and gentlemen, curveball. I'm throwing at Peter Cunningham. No idea I was going to ask him this question. I could draw a blank. And yet, in my mind, these two are linked. So, Peter, by chance, I was talking about before uh, you came on the air, before we brought you on, I was talking about a documentary I saw last night about one of my heroes, George Carlin. It's a two-part documentary on HBO. I saw the first part, which takes his first part of his career up until like the HBO specials uh, when he gets real political. And I need to know, I think of you when I, uh, George Carlin, because your accents are similar. Got kind of like a similar accent going there. He's I don't know. A New if York guy. He's, he's a New, New York, York guy. guy. And I'm a New Total. York guy. Yeah. He says he's from White Harlem. He says a whole bit about being from White Harlem, which is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but, he's, uh, are you a fan of George Carlin? Totally, totally. Are you kidding? I think he's a genius. I, I was listening to him in the early 1970s. I think the album with the uh, 30 words on it. Remember that one? Yeah, of course. The seven, word, the seven words you can't say, which of mm -hmm. course he said, but we won't say them. Well, no, we won't. We could if we wanted to because this is a podcast, but we won't. Let's see if Peter Cunningham can pass a George Carlin uh, trivia uh, test. Let's see how good that memory of his is. Okay, so he, he got in trouble. He got arrested uh, for doing a performance where he said the seven words you can't say on uh, radio or on TV, and he was arrested. Name the city he was doing that bit at when he was arrested. Peter Cunningham, go. 
Oh my God, I have no idea. So I'm just going <laughs> to throw out a guess. I'll say um, San Francisco. No. Uh, <laughs> no, what? Wouldn't it be San Francisco? Although, who knows? That lately, where San Francisco is going, we'll talk about that. Didn't Lenny recall. Bruce got arrested in San Francisco? No, Lenny, uh, Lenny Bruce got arrested in Chicago, right here in the city of Chicago, oh, okay, the Windy City. Right. And George Carlin was there that night. And they got, he got arrested, too, uh, as, as part of the arrest of Lenny Bruce. It was in Milwaukee. Shame on you, cheeseheads. Wow. Walking, yeah. 1972. That's it's a good piece of information. I'm going to keep that one. Keep that one. You can watch and, it. Uh, pop it out uh, one of these days when I need it. So, all right. Uh, we've established that you're a George Carlin fan. Uh, now let's uh, move it's on. It's not an expert. No, not an expert. Uh, well, you too could become an expert, ladies and gentlemen. I actually knew that already because I'm a little obsessive human being in many ways, as Peter Cunningham has learned. Uh, but you could also would know that if you watched the HBO special because they go into great detail. Uh, it was Summerfest. They called it Summerfest. I remember uh, I played it years ago. Get the hell out of here. You played Summerfest? I did, yeah. They, they had, you know side stages i wasn't on a main stage okay. or anything like that but we played i was in a reggae band in chicago back in the late 80s called the enforcers the enforcers how about that and uh what kind of a reggae band is named enforcers <laughs> yeah it's kind of counter reggae I'm just yeah, saying. Right. <laughs> right um so um uh we played Summerfest. it was fun i could wow did not know that uh and a little piece of peter cunningham trivia uh, which I will now write down and memorize. The next time he comes on the show, I'll ask him, Peter Cunningham, name the reggae band you played in in the 1980s. See if you can remember it. Um, all right. Uh, so criminal justice, uh, you've been coming on this show since I've had it for about three years now uh, and really trying uh, to get America uh, or at least a little corner of it that uh, listens to this show to have a new attitude uh, toward criminal justice. Yeah. And Peter, you know, I love you dearly, but I feel uh, it's not succeeding. Uh, to put it mildly, the the notion of alternative alternatives to just locking people up and throwing them away uh, seems to have been scorched. Uh, you're just general thoughts before we get into some of the particulars. Well, I mean, the fact is we're spending a lot more on violence prevention today than we were six years ago. Six years ago was virtually nothing. And today it's about $180 million. Most of it is public funding. Uh, a lot of it is uh, COVID funding. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be pressure on whoever's the mayor in a couple of years and the governor. Pretty sure that'll be Pritzker. They're going to have to find the money to keep that going because uh, they won't have all that COVID money. But the fact is the public sector has hugely stepped up. It's still not enough. We're not at scale. Uh, but but, you know, I, I'd say it's not accurate to say it's completely failed. I do think I do see an awful lot of people backsliding into law and order talk, uh, including a whole lot of people uh, who should know better. Um, and uh, so that's one evidence. You know, we do have a pilot program on alt response uh, on a, a co-responder program where mental health experts show up with police. It's in, I think, one police district. They had an initial report that of the first 135 calls, not one of them led to an arrest or not one of them required a police officer. Um, and Denver has a similar program. Eugene, Oregon has had a program like this for 30 years and it's been hugely successful. So I don't know why people don't do more of it. It's just so such common sense. 
But, you know, the bottom line is that with crime running so high right now, uh, and over the last two years, everybody just is re- reverting to law and order. And that's unfortunate. All right. When you said up to scale, just help us out. What did you mean by it's not up to scale? What does that mean? Well, you know, we think that there's about 25,000 guys in Chicago who are at extreme risk of gun violence. And by that, I mean extreme risk of shooting someone or being shot. They're very much caught up in that life. And we think that all of the violence prevention organizations in Chicago maybe reach 10% of them. So, you know, uh, a few, maybe a couple of thousand guys at most. Uh, so if we were really took it to scale and, and, and there's evidence is growing evidence that it's working, it's growing evidence that it radically reduces the likelihood that they will shoot someone and be rearrested or get shot. Um, but it's expensive, you know, it costs 30 or $40,000 a year per participant. Uh, our model at Chicago cred gives them a paycheck. It gives them therapy. It gives them a life coach. It gives them employment, job training. Um, it gives them, um, education, you know, supports them going back to school. Um, you know, we're really, really trying to give these guys a path back into the legal economy, you know, and, uh, that's not easy work. It's not light work. Uh, but the bottom line is for every guy we serve, there's probably another 20 guys who need services and want services. So if, you know, that's hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars would be required each year to take it to scale. Now compare that to what we spend on the police department, Ben, we spend $1.9 billion a year on policing. That doesn't include prosecution. It doesn't include the courts. It doesn't include the prisons. It doesn't include the jails. That's just the Chicago Police Department, Chicago's finest, as you call them. But uh, so, you know, we're not at scale, but we're, we're still a drop in the bucket compared to what we spend in the criminal justice system. Now you talk about thirty to forty thousand dollars a year. Uh, break that out a, a little bit per person. So, uh, does that mean that is that a salary? How do how do you get that number thirty to forty thousand dollars a year? Well, in our case, um, we we're we're a very high touch organization. Not all the organizations do as much as we do because some don't have the budget. Whatever, we're blessed to have a lot of private funding. But um, in our case, we give them a paycheck. 125 a week to start and it go, rises to about 225 a week over the course of the program, you know, 12 to 18 months. And we give them five adults that they can connect with their outreach guy who recruits them into the program, their life coach who sort of is just like their big brother, you know, someone they can talk to and turn to and ask for help from them become, you know, a, a, a guide, uh, a therapist, um, all of these guys have been traumatized. All of them have witnessed killings. Many of them have been shot. Uh, they've all lost loved ones. They, and this is all unresolved trauma. That's just devastating for them. And then uh, an employment coach and an education coach. So that's five adults who are touching each one of our participants. You know, the, the paycheck is not that big a number. It's, you know, maybe 10 K over the course of a year, but, all the adults that you put into their lives and we rent places and we, in order to deal with guys from different factions, we have to have different locations where they can go and where they feel safe. So we have nine locations in the city, Chicago cred. And the total budget for your year is how much did you say? Our total budget is 25 million, but half of it is probably going to other organizations. So cred itself is maybe 12 to 15, something like that. Okay. Uh, I'll just point out, 
and uh, just put aside the issue of how much we spend on the police department itself. The uh, Lincoln Yards project, we committed $1.3 billion to gentrify an already gentrifying area. I just got to point that out, Peter. That's Uh, a good point you make right there, Ben. Thank you. That that is a good point. You should keep making that point. Have you made that point before? I will make that point again and again and again. Because one thing I learned from George Carlin, you can't just say something once. No, no. You, you think America's just called? Oh, I made that point once in 1995, and it's like, well, Ben, you don't have to make it again. We're I still thought, doing it. <laughs> I thought you learned that from Rich Daly. Rich Daly invented the TIF program in Chicago. Actually, I don't know if that's fair, Rich Daly. Okay, I'm not really allowed to call him Rich Daly. I'm not his friend. Uh, Mayor Richard M. Daly. There you go. uh, For whom Peter P.C. Cunningham wrote speeches uh, for a good chunk of the 90s. And I always say, if Daly said anything remotely intelligent, it's because Cunningham wrote it. No, that's Um, not true. That is totally not true. But he did believe in repetition. I remember one of his big messages early on was jobs, jobs, jobs. Well, he believed in repetition when it came to the TIF program. Money, money, money for me. (laughs) But the the notion that you could just say uh, we waste money giving it to wealthy projects that don't need our funding uh, if you think you could say that just once and Chicago is going to stop giving money to wealthy cronies of powerful politicians, Peter Cunningham, yeah. you're naive and you're anything but naive. No, I understand. I understand. Uh, it's a- so it's a very important point to make. If you say that you want to stop people from killing each other or you want to do what you can and you want to use your resources wisely then I would suggest, I would submit to you to quote the great Harold Washington, that one of the first resources you commit more wisely are your property tax dollars, as opposed to throwing them out uh, on upscale projects. And yet, Peter, you can't say that in the city of Chicago and still be part of what? The invited crew? Do you get what I'm saying? You can't say spend more tax dollars on on fighting crime? You can, oh my goodness, fighting. You could say spend more tax dollars on hiring police, but you cannot say divert tax dollars that would otherwise go to Lincoln Yards to policing, whatever, schools, et cetera, and still be a part of the inner circle. You agree with me on that point? I don't know. I don't know. I think that, I think that I've not seen a poll on it, but I can't believe the TIFs are that popular. Now, the developers might not like it if you say it. But I can't believe that the voters would stand up and say, no, 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 no. Put that money into TIFs. No, I'm saying something different. I'm saying, and so I'll put it to you this way. All those years that you were working for Daily, uh, and you didn't actually work for Ron, but you had access to him. Did you ever hear someone on the inner circle saying, you know, boss, I think it may be a good idea to take that money you're spent, you're intending to spend the billions of dollars you're intending to spend uh, on Lincoln Yards, and I don't know, spend it on the school. Did you ever hear someone like uh, the head of the planning department or the head of the law department or uh, somebody from the board? Do you ever hear anybody say that uh, to either Mayor Rahm or Mayor Daly, Peter Cunningham? Don't. I don't know. I don't remember Ben. I don't remember hearing anybody say that. But I, I certainly know there was a robust debate about how how much TIF dollars should be spent and what they should be spent on. You know, we, a lot of them were spent on building schools, not all of them, but some of them were spent on building schools, right? Some of them were spent on public projects that you'd probably like. <laughs> so, 
uh, oh my yeah. God, I feel the year is 1998 and Peter Cunningham and I are having, Ben, do you realize that we spend money, tough money on building? I also know a lot of it was, um, was to subsidize development. And I think that every time you see that happening, it wasn't always in the neighborhood that needed it the most. My I would say, yeah, I would, uh, all right, that's so, as close to um, a concession as I'm going to get from Peter Cunningham. <laughs> uh, all right, Peter Moving aside from the TIF program, I just could not help myself. I apologize. Um, let's go back to something you said, and I, I jotted it down. People who know better. Yeah, You made a reference to people who know better. You did not indicate who those people who know better are. But let's just go into that a little bit. Well, you're Maybe. the one who pointed out that all these people now are voting for this curfew, right? Now, we have a curfew, okay? It's not enforced. We raised, We lowered it from 11 to 10 for everybody. I think on weekends, right? And we loaded it to six o'clock in Millennium Park. Did anyone think about how exactly you're going to enforce that? You're going to walk up to every kid and let's face it, probably more to kids of color than to nice, uh, nice uh, middle-class white kids who are gathering with their parents. And you're going to say, where's your mom? Oh, you're 18. You don't look 18. I mean, it's just crazy. What, that as an idea and it it's it's just the wrong approach you know i mean cred operates under the idea there was radical idea that if you actually want to stop people from shooting you got to go talk to the people who are most likely to do it and you got to see if you can get them to put down their guns you know for you know police for the most part show up after a shooting right shooting happens they show up they show up they stand and they take you know questions they take gather evidence they do what they're going to do but they're not really stopping shooting in advance. They're not really talking to the people most likely to shoot and giving them another pass. And so, uh, you know, we've been doing this for, I don't know, decades and decades and decades. We haven't had under 400 murders since 1965. Mm. And today we're, up, you know, last year we had about 800, 4,400 shootings. So it's just not working. And anyone who says otherwise, and we have more police per capita than any other big city in America, even though the police force is down, it's over a thousand vacancies and another 600 were cut in 2021. We still have a higher police per capita than uh, every other city in America. It's what do you make of that? I just think it's a failure of imagination. I think it's a fear. I think it's an unwillingness to, to stimulate a, a, a public dialogue. You wrote about it in your piece where you, falsely accused Arnie Duncan of dropping out of the, the mayoral race because she accused him of defunding police. That's not why he dropped out of the, that's not why he chose not to run. He never was in the mayoral race, but he did publicly indicate some interest in running. He did do a poll. The poll showed him he was very competitive, but ultimately he decided that it wasn't what he wanted to do with his time. He really, really is deeply committed to this program and working with the young people. He spends all of his time running around the South and West sides, meeting with these young guys. And he just knew that if he was going to get into politics, he'd have to spend a year campaigning or so most of the year. And he'd have to spend eight years as mayor. I mean, you're going to run for two terms. If you're going to do it, you got to do two terms. So I, we had a very candid conversation. I said, Arnie, this is a nine year commitment. I said, whether you like it or not, it's a nine-year commitment. You know, you know, maybe you won't get reelected, but you got to go into it with the idea that this is nine years of your life. And, you know, he's in his late 50s. Um, he's had a lot of public positions, you know, uh, eight, seven years running the school, seven years as education secretary. 
And he had, you know, in many ways been enjoying his private life and enjoying the work he was doing and really committed to the guys. And he just, he just couldn't bring himself to say, I, I want to spend the next year running. And I want to spend the next year, eight years after that, you know, being a politician. So that's the truth. Uh, Peter is uh, making reference to a column I wrote a couple of weeks ago. I think it's false equivalence, which I sent to him as homework uh, before we excellent column, by the way. An Thank you. Other, other than that part, uh, your recitation about the part about Arnie uh, reminds me very much of one of the greatest movies of this century called American Hustle. There's that scene. Have you ever seen American Hustle? It's yeah. a great movie. Uh, David O. Ru- uh, Russell was the director. Anyway, there's that great scene. It's about an app scam. And there's that great scene. I can't remember which character. It may have been um, uh, the Bradley Cooper character is going on and on and on and telling something uh, to uh, somebody. There was a woman uh, in the show. I can't remember which one it was. All I remember is the line. And when he's done, uh, the person who's listening to him makes reference to one little aspect of what he said. And he said, I said all that and that's what you heard. I wrote that column and you only heard the Arnie part. <laughs> Fair so. enough. No, I thought the column was great. I think it's the great point about false equivalency with the left and the right. As well, we'll get into that. Point we'll, out. Yeah, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll get, get into that. that. I want to get into that. Uh, but it's fair for you to defend Arnie Duncan because maybe I uh, was uh, throwing a cheap shot there. I apologize. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think a lot of people think that. And and uh, I'm just telling you the truth from what I know from having been in the conversation with him. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, but anyway, the part that that uh, about Artie Duncan that I uh, will not back off from is I give him credit. Okay, Artie Duncan and I have not been on the same side politically uh, for most of our lives uh, when it comes to Chicago politics. But I give him credit for at this moment for using his bully pulpit to speak up on behalf of alternatives. Uh, it's just locking people up. And I was, Arnie Duncan was willing to use uh, the access he had to mainstream Chicago to deliver a message that mainstream Chicago didn't want to hear, particularly with crime rising. And I'm, we can even get into a whole discussion, Peter, whether it is really rising anymore, but let's put that aside for the moment. He was willing to use that bully pulpit to say something that did not want to be heard. And Lori Lightfoot, who ran as a quote unquote reformer, and I remember her at the hideout, reformer land, if there ever was a place, uh, yeah. talking about how she was going to have a whole new approach to criminal justice. Yep. She said, oh, that's more defund the police rhetoric. Yep, she did. And she did such an injustice, a disservice, in my humble opinion, to just the whole concept of what you've been talking about since you've been coming on this show about rethinking how we go about Policing our city, uh, dealing with crime, dealing with justice. She just, in my opinion, Peter, and no, she's completely abandoned it. Yeah. And I mean, you look at something like that. Remember that proposed gang asset seizure ordinance, uh, which went down. As far as I could tell, it's dead, right? It doesn't seem to be moving. So, uh, I mean, that's an example of, of just not really understanding the problem like the problem is not these gangs with billions millions of dollars and assets you know homes and cars and everything like that these are all low-level street factions who are doing this shooting and most of these shootings are driven by retaliation they're driven by insults on social media you know the number of shootings that are provably related to drug turf is I don't know what, but it's certainly not significant. I, I, you know, I don't know about it. It's mostly just about, you know, 
the guys are afraid of the other guys. And so it's, 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 it's scary. They're, they're living in fear. They're living in constant fear. So everyone has a gun and everyone has a gun. And when everyone has a gun, sometimes people use them. And one person uses them and the next guy uses them before you know it. All the guys in our program tell us 14, 15 years old, they got a gun. They got a gun. I just talked to another guy the other day. He said, it cost me a hundred dollars. I bought my first gun when I was 15 years old, hundred dollars. There he is. 15 years old. 19 years later now, he's got a bullet lodged permanently in his back. But he's one of our life coaches. He works for Chicago Cred. He's helping other young guys try and avoid some of those same mistakes that he made. And, you know, these guys are an asset to us. You know, they, they have the experience. They have the credibility. They have what we call the license to operate on the streets. They can walk up to these guys and say, hey, guys, Let's leave this corner alone, okay? Their families are around here. They want they want to bring their kids over here. They got to go pick up their kids at the school around the corner. Can we just move off this corner? And then can we can we back off? Can we stop shooting at each other? I mean, they 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 can have that conversation. No one else can have that conversation. And these guys are having them every day. So, uh, you know, it's 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 an amazing act of courage and commitment that they're making, and they do it for, for peanuts. I, and I would. I would definitely increase, if I were mayor, what a joke, the amount of money uh, programs get. It's just, uh, I think the real scandal here uh, is that so little is committed and we make such a big deal about wanting to uh, end this violence and then we do so little. Wait, wait, wait. We spent $80 million in last year's budget on police settlements. We spent $36 million on violence prevention. Wow. Okay. <laughs> More than twice as much money was budget for police settlements. So, you know, uh, and, and, and public dialogue, as you know, Ben, is about educating each other and, and having conversations. And so what we were trying to do was say, let's have a conversation about what really works and doesn't work. Mm. And uh, when the pressure's on, people forget that education role of public dialogue and they immediately move to the, you know, applause role. I just want to say whatever gets me applause. So what gets you applause absent an effort to really have it a robust, thoughtful conversation about alternatives is more cops, more cops, more cops. We're going to do it. We're going to do more cops. So first of all, we can't hire more cops. They're retiring faster than we can replace them. Okay. The number of police on duty right now, is under 11,700. It was 13,300 when the mayor took over. 13,300, now it's 11,700. That's 1,600 fewer police officers. We, nevertheless, we still have the highest per capita police department in the, in, the, in, in the country. So if more cops were the answer, we'd be the safest city in America. So, uh, All right, uh, so going back to... What I was talking about, uh, Arnie Duncan using his bully pulpit uh, to try to get people to rethink uh, how we approach a crime in Chicago. Uh, and then he ultimately decided not to run for mayor. At the moment, uh, there are no candidates in the race who are using their bully pulpits to promote a philosophy like the one Arnie Duncan was uh, promoting everyone, including uh, Cam Buckner, who's more or less the the guy, the liberal guy in the race, uh, is saying more police, more police. And Lori Lightfoot is leading the charge. Mm-hmm. She's now saying uh, you're, if arrested, you're uh, guilty. 
until yeah. proven otherwise, which is pretty alarming rhetoric. Uh, from, from a former federal, federal prosecutor. Yeah. yeah I think, um, I don't know whether it was taken out of context or whatever, because it seemed like she then said in the next breath, uh, of course, the people are entitled to the presumption of innocence. But she clearly said that, you know, the state's attorney sets a high standard for when they charge people. So when they charge them, those people are guilty. That's what she said. That's what she said. <laughs> and I don't you know, know how you could say that was taken out of context. Yeah. Literally, that's what she said. I know. Well, like I said, in the next breath, she seemed to say the opposite. So I think she may have realized that it's a little crazy. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, you know, it's it's it, it. I think it reflects a mindset, which is that, you know, we're still thinking you got to lock up these guys. The only answer is to lock them up. And that's not the only answer. Not only that, it's not the best answer. The best answer is to give them a, an alternative to give them to, you know, it's like, it's like the kids who are coming downtown and who are now banned from millennium park uh, in the evenings, um, unless they're accompanied by a responsible adult, which I guess you can have a club and a hat that says I'm a responsible adult. That way we can tell them apart. But, uh, but um you know, I mean, what are those kids really saying? What they're really saying to us, we got nothing to do. We have nothing to do in our neighborhoods. We, we're just looking for fun. So why don't we have beach parties for them, you know, all over the city? Why don't we have neighborhood dance parties? That's what they want to do. They want to be together. They want to dance. They want to have fun. They want to hang out. Are you, are they allowed to do that? Maybe not. Maybe it's not safe. So can we create safe spaces for them to do that? I mean, that's what you have to do. You got to, look at what they want and what they're telling us and respond to it as opposed to thinking that in the, in the, you know, rarefied atmosphere of, you know, the fifth floor of city hall, you can dream up some kind of a, uh, an idea for them that, you know, doesn't work. All right. Got- I, uh, I want you to take off your reformer hat yeah. for lack of a better word. That's what I'm just going to call it reformer hat yeah. uh, and put on your political strategist hat. Okay. Okay, and so my takeaway, watching the rhetoric of uh, big city mayors and uh, mm-hmm. big city politicians in general, uh, is that they ha- subscribe to this fundamental assumption about uh, elections in the year 2022, which is a, le- a fundamental assumption that really has been alive in the Democratic Party since 1972, but I'll spare you the history lesson for today, Peter. Uh, and that fundamental assumption about electoral politics in 2022 is that you cannot repeat, you cannot win by drifting too far, quote unquote, left on this matter and that the only way you could win is if you move right. If you view uh, law and order rhetoric as a right wing or conservative rhetoric, which it largely has been uh, in this country, the only way you can prevail is to move right. And anybody who goes left on this will be annihilated uh, in election as uh, voters are afraid. And when voters are afraid, uh, voters themselves support uh, law and order uh, rhetoric. Uh, yeah. So, what would you say election. about what would you say about the Pennsylvania Senate primary? So here's Connor Lamb, the centrist, centrist, losing to John Fetterman, who is a bit of an odd duck in more ways than one. Uh, but politically, he's a bit of an odd duck. He's sort of, uh, I mean, he, he he had an embarrassing episode with a gun and where he personally arrested a black guy. Uh, so he came off as something other than a liberal in that particular episode. Uh, but he's certainly um, 
a liberal on lots of issues, but he's pro fracking because he's in central Pennsylvania. So he, you know, just like Bernie Sanders is against gun control because of Vermont, or at least he's not an advocate for gun control in a serious way because he he's, it's, it's just a problem in his district. So Fetterman beat, beat, beat lamb. Um, I think uh, by running to the left of him, obviously there's a, democratic socialist movement in America that's more vibrant than it's been any time before. So, I mean, so there's something out there that said, you know, all politics is local. And when you're talking about local politics, can somebody win here on a true reform policing reform platform right now? I don't know. I mean, it's hard. Uh, You know, I think the mayor has moved way to the right on this stuff. Uh, Like you say, she was elected, on that kind of a platform at the time crime was lower 2019 we had under 500 murders so crime had been dropping since steadily since 2016 um and you know the whole narrative around laquan mcdonald made it a an essential that you had to stand up and be pro-reform you know uh, i worked with bill daly he was 100 percent for the consent decree and he was not talking about hiring more and more cops he was talking about you know uh reforming the department because he had to, because everyone was. So we live in a political world where things shift a lot. So are things shifting back the other way? Well, they are, Uh, you know, we right now crime is really, really out of control in this city. That said, it's been down every month this year compared to last year. Citywide, it's down about 15% on shootings. There are neighborhoods where we're working where it's down 30, 40, 50, even nearly 60%. So there's some evidence that, you know, alternatives to policing, policing, policing is working. There's some evidence that even though we don't have all the cops we're supposed to have in the budget, uh, you know, things are getting a little better than they were last year. But, you know, crime in some ways is like the economy. We all think it's related to things we do. And really, it's just this this kind of independent entity that functions based on factors beyond our control. You know, if it was COVID, if it was the economy that was driving crime, that's one thing. Maybe it's also just exhaustion by a certain uh, age group of people. Or maybe the age group is the demographic starting to shift. You know, a lot of people have left Chicago from those crime-ridden neighborhoods. Um, that said, we still have a lot of shootings, way too many, over 4,400 last year. Hmm. So so your question, though, just to get back to it, was yeah. can, can, can you get elected uh, on, a, on a more progressive platform in and I think the answer is yes. I think that um, I think that a progressive platform should be very, very much economically driven. And progressives have ideas about the economy that are, uh, I think, uh, very, very appealing, like helping people, like giving them better wages, like uh, keeping things affordable. And I think that if a progressive who on one hand wants to drive police reform is also on the other hand, talking about how to make sure that the middle class is secure and safe and has the American dream. I think they can pull that off. Mm. I think they can. Uh, And I think a great start would be the program uh, cred and putting more money into it and literally putting more money. Literally, this is going back to my pet theme, literally putting more money into communities that need it the most, as opposed to putting it into communities that don't need it. And I like Lincoln Yards, for example, like Lincoln Yards, or the 78. Don't forget 78, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget the casino. 
<laughs> oh my goodness, Peter Cunningham, I have to talk casino with you. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. Uh, I, I, I help me out here. Uh, you've dealt with uh, Chicago politics and Chicago media for a long, long time. So why is it presented as a quote unquote triumph for the mayor? Please help me understand this, Peter Cunningham, that we're about to have what Hammond's had since, I don't know, when Hammond had its casino in the 1900s, 1990s. I mean, I mean, I'm like, Chicago's mentality, we are such a second city mentality. Like, we're going to get a casino. Like, who cares? Please help me, Peter Cunningham. I need What next? You're going to get a baseball team? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's, uh, a joke, but you know what? It's one of these things that like, you know, the argument for it is okay. There's a lot of people who come into town. They'll leave money behind when they do it. Fine. The argument against it is that, okay, there's a lot of people here in town who are going to, you know, give away their rent in the casino. I, I, you know, my idea was to put it down a water tower. I thought Michigan Avenue needed the boost and water tower is half empty and it's already built. And there's lots of restaurants and hotels around that would benefit from it versus saying, put it over an impossible location, Halstead <laughs> in Chicago or down in the 78, which doesn't even exist yet. And the developer of the casino, he wants the restaurants also and the parking and he wants, you know, the, the hotel. I want the existing places to benefit from it. So that would have been my approach. But, you know, I'm not in charge, Ben, as you know. No, you're definitely not in charge anymore. No. Uh, but 1995 was a different story. I wasn't uh, in charge then either. Uh, you were a minor functionary. <laughs> kind of helping them out a little bit. They were stumbling. And Peter, could you write a speech that makes us look semi-coherent? Okay, boss. Um, all right. Uh, I'm with you. I hadn't thought of that one. I don't think you've ever s- said that on, on on my humble little show. No, but, I didn't. I didn't. Um, did you I, it just wasn't my issue. I wasn't. That is a good idea, though. Yeah. I, listen, I just so you know, uh, Peter, and I, I say this as a guy who had a real gambling problem that I have conquered. Thank you. Uh, it's a, a, a terrible, <laughs> it's a terrible addiction to have. It's constantly that compulsion to chase chase the money chase the money that you're losing it's a, like it's a, that's all you can call it is an addiction you, mm. uh you gotta learn to pull back uh but you know listen who am i to say uh, one man's vice is any better or worse than another i believe yeah. in legalizing them all uh i just think it's absurd to act like this is somehow or other a triumph for the city of Chicago. <laughs> yeah, it's not a, it's not an economic development strategy. No. It's not anything we're going to be bragging about in the future. Exactly. It's not anything we're going to point to and say, isn't this wonderful? Yes. It's just a thing. And maybe it's a, um, you know, just something we have to do because everyone's doing it. And if we don't do it, we'll just keep losing money to other places. I don't even know. I actually never saw that figure that showed how much revenue we lose because we don't have a casino. Uh, you know, all I did is see revenue estimates of what we would gain and they were never that big, you know, no. they're not that big. They're in the low, low you know, millions or something, you know, and tens would, of millions, but they're not hundreds of millions. They're not no. millions. So, uh, you know, whatever, we're going to have a casino and it'll create some jobs for a while and hopefully it won't be, uh, too um destructive to our social fabric yes 
and uh, God, I wish I had thought of the uh, uh, water tower idea. Damn. I should have, I should have given it. I should have called you and said, why don't you say this? Yeah. But if, I may just, uh, but, but if you said it, that's pretty much guarantees it would never happen. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's face it. So true. So, uh, the, mayor, the mayor would call the staff and says, whose idea was this? And they say, well, it's Ben Jurafsky's idea. Say, Are you kidding me? Don't be ridiculous. We're not going to do this. Uh, sad, but true. Yeah. So. Uh, by the way, you got to get a kick out of this. I'm going to talk about a curveball I'm about to throw at him. Back in the day, uh, you guys were part of the same team, uh, and that would be the daily team, Paul Vallis, who yeah. by, was there in the revenue department when they invented this monstrosity called the Tiffs. <laughs> you never hear him take credit for that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then went over to work with the Board of Ed, whereas uh, his whole purpose on when it came to Tiffs was look the other way and pretend it wasn't going on, is now running again for mayor of the city of Chicago. Are you tempted in any way, Peter Cunningham, to vote for your old friend, Paul Vallis? It, it, it depends. You know, um, there's things about Paul that are great. He's really, really knowledgeable. Um, uh, I also think though that I'm not comfortable where he is on public safety, you know, cause he's pretty much, uh, just in the more, more cops, uh, camp. Now he, I have talked to him about it and he said that he's very interested in supporting violence prevention and, you know, knowing Paul with his budgetary skills, he'll find the money. So, uh, I haven't picked a horse yet in this race at all. Uh, I'm not working for anybody. Uh, I've talked a lot to the people who are running. I've talked to Cam. I've talked to Paul. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's, um, I think it's all great. I just, uh, I just, I just haven't had a chance to uh, dive in. Okay. Uh, by the way, let me just say this. You don't have to be uh, the money man that Paul Vallis is to, quote, unquote, find the money to support uh, an intervention program. The money is there. We're just choosing not to find it, if you follow what I'm saying. And Peter Cunningham knows exactly what I'm saying. He knows what I said is true. They wanted to. They could triple that budget. The money is there. They just chose not Correct. to spend it. Correct. Right. And, and, you know, I think that he may, he, he may come up with the money. I don't know. Well, you know, uh, uh, Nixon went to China, so uh, anything is uh, possible. I mean, he says he's for it. Cam says he's for it. I mean, Mayor Lightfoot came up with the money, so I, I, I can't fault her there. She came up with more than, than, than was there before. Uh, whether she'll stick with it is another question after the COVID money dries up. So I, I don't fault her there. J.B. Pritzker came up with the money. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle has put some money into it. So like I said, we're at a, a, a much higher level than we've ever been at, but we're still not nearly where we need to be. So I, I'm interested, as you know, in having somebody stand up and say, look, we spend billions and billions of dollars on criminal justice reform. Let's ship some of that money into this work because it'll actually make us safer. All right. Uh, you know, and I know that that, that might prompt someone like Lightfoot to say, okay, that's defunding, but that's exactly what she would say. There'd be a commercial, uh, which showed, uh, police flashing police cars with their lights flashing, racing to, uh, to some crime scene. Uh, and, uh, it would just, that's the playbook that they're going to be following that mayor Lori Lightfoot will be, uh, following. I'm going to close, uh, get your thoughts on uh, the column that I sent to you and you dutifully read. Thank you very much for reading it. The, my notion of false equivalence, uh, which is tied to the greater notion of uh, self-hating liberals uh, 
Uh, and, um, and this is, I've talked about this many times, but it really hit home when I was reading a, a Tom Friedman column in the New York times. Uh, and he was trying, he was trying to show how uh, our country is so radically divided. Uh, and he created a, uh, what I call the false equivalence between, uh, MAGA's who, uh, believe that Trump actually won the election. Right. Uh, and, uh, people who say that we should. And, and lefties who think we ought to like have reasonable gun control. Laws. Yes. Yes. He said, <laughs> for no, example. The, yes. For re- example. It was like, what they're the same. Or, or, or people who think maybe Jeff Bezos ought to pay some taxes. Yes. Something. Something, <laughs> something like that. I mean, you know, just, I don't know what, a couple so, of bucks. Uh, Peter, you've, you've been in the belly of the beast. Uh, and folks, I could tell you so many Peter Cunningham anecdotes that he shared with me down through the years uh, in confidence, which enlightened me because I've never been in the belly of the beast uh, where people express kind of like their real feelings about how they view the world. Um, so, what, I mean, when a guy like Freeman writes this, does he really believe it? Or is this just an effort by liberals to make themselves as presentable as they can be to mainstream America. I struggle with this, Peter. Go Here's on. the theory. It just popped into my head, but since we're on a podcast, I'll just pop it right out to your devoted fans. So I think liberals like to prove their liberal credentials by being willing to criticize themselves. Whereas conservatives don't have to prove their conservative credentials by being willing to criticize themselves. In fact, they have to prove the opposite which is that only a true conservative never, ever criticizes another conservative, no matter how crazy they are. Whereas liberals are all, you know, outdoing each other, trying to show how open-minded and committed they are to self-reflection. And so we're always, we're always criticizing. We're always quick to say, well, golly gee, maybe, maybe Biden was, wasn't right about, you know, this or that or the other thing, or maybe his border policy is, you know, not exactly what we want, even though the other guy is the one who separated the kids from their parents. And, you know, uh, (laughs) it doesn't matter. You know, let's, let's be honest about our own shortcomings. That's a, that's a liberal quality. So it's a bad liberal quality. You know, at a certain point, this is just war and we're in war. We're in war with those guys and when more, you don't beat up on your own troops. And, you know, we got to get out of that habit. Uh, I, we're certainly far from the perfect Democrats, and uh, I don't need to convince you of that. <laughs> but, but we are so much more, uh, so much more fair, honest, truthful, and, uh, and American in the best sense of the word than the other guys, that it's not even a contest. And for Thomas Friedman to do that false equivalency is just absurd. Well, I think that's as good a spot as uh, any to uh, close down today's show because Peter Cunningham uh, and I are in agreement. Uh, and so it's always, I'm always looking for consensus with my brothers and sisters uh, from the lib- of the liberal persuasion. And by the way, you're absolutely correct what you said about Bernie. Uh, I voted for him. I'm two for two on Bernie, but I looked this up, uh, Peter, the other day I was doing a deep dive, uh, and I was following, uh, I took a look at the vote on the 2005 bill that, uh, 
protected gun manufacturers uh, from lawsuits for the uh, from the outcomes for any accountability for yeah. the carnage their weapons yeah. uh, their products show and Bernie voted against it he was a congressman at the time and I was so disappointed when I saw it and I well you knew that about Bernie you knew that about him you knew that about him uh, and uh, so and you know that's kind of surprising because that was about the gun manufacturers not the gun owners you know what I mean like he should be all for holding manufacturers accountable, even if he's mixed about what, you know, what kind of laws to impose on gun owners or what kind of bans to impose. Um, either way, he should be for them too, you know, I mean, at a certain point. But he, he obviously must have polling that tells him this is a killer issue. If he does this, he won't get elected. And he can justify it in his head by saying, look, I'm fighting for all these other things that are important and I'm just not going to die uh, on this hill. Yeah. You know, I get it. Uh, yeah, I get it. That's politics. And, That's politics. I mean, you know, it's that, politics. everybody has to make compromises if you're going to, you know, be in this field. Uh, that said, I was very disappointed. All right, Peter Cunningham, thank you so much. It's always a blast talking politics with you. Keep uh, rocking and rolling in the free world, uh, <laughs> to quote your favorite, Neil Young. And um, I'll talk to you real soon, all right? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. See ya. All right, that's the great Peter Cunningham. I'm Ben Drosk. I want to thank him very much. I also want to thank the man of myth and legend, pride and joy of all Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Peter Cunningham and Neil Young will tell you back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Keep yourself raised. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody.